are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. The last few weeks have all represented a big first to our show. We hosted our first Yulian leader, our first cotton farmer, and now our first leather manufacturer. Vijay recently wrapped up his time as CSR and sustainability manager for Asia Ten. He is originally from India, though he has studied in the U.S. and spent significant time in China, where Asia Ten is based. As a result of pandemic, he's recently left Asia Ten and relocated back to India to be nearer to his family. He now works freelance. This is part three of our conversation with Vijay, and we highly recommend going back to listen to parts one and two before listening to this one. In part one, Vijay gave an overview of the laser production steps and situates Asia Ten within that. What's their relationship with shoe factories? And what's their relationship with brands? Part two was all about inputs. What types of inputs does Asia Ten need to make its leather? Where do these come from? What's their relationship like with their suppliers, and how does this impact traceability of leather? In this episode, we zoom back out, giving the relationships upstream and downstream, and the complexity of sustainability issues facing the leather industry. How did Asia Ten decide where to start its sustainability journey, and what's Vijay's take on the role of government regulation? Our episodes this week are thanks to our collaboration with JZ Fabric. The Fabric project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development, and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment. Vijay was a speaker on the fourth edition of JZ Fabrics online seminar series called "Getting Through the Crisis Together: Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in Its Textile and Garment Industry." If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured Underscore Podcast, or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series "Getting Through the Crisis Together: Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry," check out the links we've put in our show notes. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. I want to go back to sustainability, and I want to zoom out because we've talked touched on, from a sustainability perspective, we've touched on so many different issues. We've touched on、uh, the you know raising of animals. We've talked about the chemicals that go into producing leather. You mentioned yourself,、uh, you know that there's、um, deforestation that has been linked to leather in the in the in, in the sense that. Uh, linked to the raising of animals, it it seems like I don't envy your position in 2015 with Asia Ten setting up a sustainability department because it it seems like totally overwhelming. Where would you even start? And so I'm I'm curious, like 
how did you, you can't do everything all at once. So how did you like decide what your priorities were and what your approach was going to be? And ultimately what your goal was? So I keep telling this to everyone, right? Sustainability is not a one-man job, right? If you're part of a sustainability department in a company, you have to make sure that you educate your employees and educate your partners, your suppliers, your stakeholders to make sure that you, everyone is on the same page when it comes to sustainability. Uh, I, we did have a sustainability department, but we made sure that we passed on the information that needed to be passed on to the employees. So something as simple as, for example, we had boards, right, that said uh, around where taps were to make sure that people shut off the taps to make sure that water is not wasted, you know, to make sure where solid-based generation takes place, to make sure that the solid waste does not get dispersed in different directions, you know, just collected properly. Then when it comes to energy consumption, make sure that the lights are turned off. These are the small things that go a long way. As long as you can educate your employees day and night, make sure that they buy into the process, make sure that they buy into the idea of sustainability. So it was never like, oh, I'm working on sustainability. Let me do this. It was always like, so we as a team, how can we help change the narrative when it comes to sustainability in our uh, department, in our tannery, when it comes to supplies, when it comes to the brands we work with. So it was always promoting this idea that we can do better. You know, this is what we're doing. We can do something better. So we made sure that we didn't work with suppliers. We worked with them. If they had any problem with their ETP plant, if they said that, listen, we're having problem with the COD of our plant, can you help us? We made sure that we shared the knowledge that we have with them to make sure that they can also uh, look at sustainability the way we are. So it was always about educating the people. So that was our goal from the very beginning. Educate and then implement, you know. So again, that was the one thing that we took out from our team was to make sure that we educate everyone. Um, so you didn't have, like, it wasn't, I want to clarify. So it wasn't like you said, you know what, we really want to take on a particular issue, whether that is, you know, the chemical usage or the, um, you know, the, the inputs on the raw material, like the hides or the, you know, the footprint of, of those. It was more like, I mean, so you didn't, because I'm I, kind of what I'm getting at, trying to get a sense of is like, it's a huge topic and there's a lot of different directions like that you could go in and ways that you could start. So like, did you have, I mean, how did you break that down into steps, you know? Right. So what we did is, all right, so we looked at our things that we need to improve in our facility, right? So the three major things that come up first anytime, number one is obviously energy consumption. Another one is water consumption. Number three is solid waste generation, all right? And of course, there's the air emissions too. So what we did is we, as a department, what we want to do is take one person from the technical team, right? For example, water consumption. Water consumption, the majority of water consumption comes from the wheat tanning department, right? Because we had drums that use a lot of water to uh, color the leather. So we had the technical technician from the wheat tanning department work with one team uh, member from the sustainability department to see how can we reduce our water uh, consumption. The same thing, energy consumption comes from basically machine usage in uh, leather making, right? So we had one person from the sustainability department work with the maintenance department who are in charge of all the machines to make sure how can we reduce the energy uh, consumption in our tannery. 
Solid waste generation mostly came from our raw material department. So we had the technical person from that department work with one member. So we tackled each and everything at the same time, but we had different people taking care of those issues. So there are certain things that were easier to tackle than others. But as long as we had one person who was in charge of that, we made sure that we came as a team every quarter to discuss what were the improvements made, what are the improvements we can make going forward by changing certain things. So we made sure that we tackled each and everything at the same time, but in different groups. And again, I'll tell you another thing, right? It's easy when you're when the bar is set at a certain standard, right? So you want to improve 50% when you're already have a long way to go. That 50% is very easy. You can do that within a few months, right? But then as you get to that, already you've improved 70%, you've improved 80% over your baseline. That extra 5%, 10%, extra 1%, 2% gets exponentially difficult, you know? So that's where we reached in the last two, three years where we were already so much ahead of where other tanneries were that just to get that extra 1%, 2%, we had to like basically find ways to and new ways to uh, improve ourselves. Again, the key is to make a good team and make sure that you give those teams certain objectives and make sure that they you check those objectives are being reached or not. If not, then how can we reach those objectives? So we made sure that we work in teams. I'm curious because like one of the things that I struggled with when I was a factory manager was like basically figuring out trade-offs because we could figure out how to do things in a more sustainable way, but maybe it would cost slightly more or maybe the quality would be slightly different. Like when you were, when you were doing this, going through this process of trial and error, I mean, one of the things of course you're looking for is what will the impact be from a sustainability perspective but also it still has to be commercially viable in terms of price, but also in terms of like the quality that your customers are expecting. Um, and so like, was that ever, was that ever a barrier to operationalizing different types of practices? hundred percent. I mean, honestly speaking, leather was the boss, right? The whole purpose we were in the business was to make good leather. So at no point did we do anything that, affected the quality of the leather so if there were times if the leather the, the quality of the leather was affected we'd make sure all right what is it that we did that affected the quality of the leather so we'd go back tweak the process again and make sure we still got the final that we needed and there are times that you have to change certain things that all right it might cost a little bit more but the long-term goal is always to be more sustainable and the advances that you make in uh, or rather let, let's just put it this way the change that you make on the long term will definitely prove more favorable to you because there's certain things that you cannot change right for example leather making is very traditional and there's certain processes that leather has to go through that you think you have to go through but what we did is all right let's turn it on its head let's change this let's see what happens mm. you know people will tell you oh that's not the way you make leather but we want to learn for ourselves. It's almost like we became kids in our own class, right? Mm. And we found out that as technology has improved, as people have learned more and more, there's certain things that you just do not need. You know, there's certain things that, for example, in leather making, there's a process called stretching that you do to so you get more yield, correct? Mm -hmm. So when you stretch out the leather more, you're getting more square footage. So you sell that to the shoe factory as more money. In our case, we didn't want to do that because that reduces the quality of the leather, you know? So yes, we did take a hit on that, but what the end cost was, we made better leather. 
you know, and that was our key goal to make better leather while being more sustainable. And the other thing is when you stretch the leather, you're putting it through a lot of uh, heat. So that's, again, uh, consuming a lot more electricity. So we cut that process out, you know. So, all right, we're not selling as much, but we're also not using as much energy. Yeah, I, I want to go back because, like, one of the things that you were explaining to us at the beginning of this conversation was that, you know, you are actually selling to the shoe factory, the, the company that's making the shoe. The brand is very involved in the design of the leather, but is not actually your direct customer. They are purchasing from the shoe factory. So they're from a like financial perspective, they're one step removed. So one of like, I'm kind of curious, was it were there ever situations like, let's say you had come up, you know, you're going like you're experimenting, you're relearning, you're testing different things. And you come up with something that like you guys think is a really good idea and is, you know, really helps, helps everyone achieve certain sustainability goals. Was there ever a situation where say like the shoe factory would be like, no, 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 this doesn't work for us. This is too expensive. But the brand would say, no, actually, we really want you to do it or where the shoe fact or maybe the other way around where the shoe factory would say, hey, this is great. But the brand would say, oh, no, this doesn't work for us. Like, I mean, how, like, how did, how did, cause how did you guys like, cause you're sort of like a, a, a group of three, right? But your, your relations, like from a product perspective, you have to work very closely together. But from a financial perspective, like the relationships um, are a little bit more linear. Right. So like, I'm curious, how did that play out? So oftentimes I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So a couple of years ago, we introduced this concept called kind leather, right? So as I told you earlier, there are certain parts of leather that are not the best graded. So it's not like, uh, say, for example, the bellies of the necks, right? Because they have a lot more wrinkles, they're a lot more looser. So those don't go into the best parts of the shoe. So we came up with this concept called kind leather a couple of years ago where we cut out the necks and cut out the bellies so that the leather that is left is better graded, right? So you're taking out the worst parts of the leather and making it more usable, right? So this is something that we work with the brands and we work with the shoe factories to make sure we get information and data collected from them to actually tell us that, yes, we're actually getting better cutability from this leather. So when we made drastic changes, we made sure we let the brand know, all right? So these are the changes we made and we think it's going to improve the quality of the leather or we think it's going to improve the environmental impact of this leather. We let the brands know and we did trials with the shoe factories to confirm that, you know, it's never that we made an empty uh, promise or an empty claim saying that, oh, listen, this is so much better. Trust me, use it. And I'm sure brands would never take our word for it, right? They want to see data that backs that up. So we made sure that we let the brands know and the brands work with the factory to give us permission to do trials with them and then pass that data on to the brand to make sure that the claims we made were actually correct. I want to, if we're, we're, getting close to the end of this conversation. And I, I'm curious to sort of close on a question that we haven't really talked about throughout this conversation. And that's on uh, the role of government regulation. And I'm curious, like last time we talked, you mentioned repeatedly that China was, you know, um, getting quite strict in terms of environmental regulation. And that that was also one of the like, catalysts for looking at the way that you uh, were doing business. What do you, what's your take on the role of government regulation in terms of making the leather industry more sustainable? 
I think uh, there's two places that sustainability can really be influenced from. One is brands, because they have so much leverage over their supply chains. And the other is the regulators, because they can actually control the industry based on regulations they make. So you're absolutely right when uh, you say that, yes, China has some of the strictest environmental regulations in the world, and we are we have faced it. And I, I do think it's a great thing, you know, like the stricter regulations, the more you have an incentive to improve to make sure you are within those regulations. So I, in fact, do think that it's important for different regulators to have a look at their environmental regulations and make sure that they're within a standard that they feel is actually the standard that the world needs. Because it's a good thing that we have stricter environmental regulation. It's a good thing that we have to abide by these regulations because after all, it's the right thing to do, right? Like we have inherited this earth from our ancestors and we're going to pass it on to our future generations. We want to make sure that we leave it in a better place, you know, and and the environment is the one place that we need to really improve because over the past decades, we haven't done a very good job at taking care of the environment. You know, like we have been polluting and now it's time for us to buckle up and make sure that we leave the world a better place. So I really do welcome stricter regulations from the uh, regulators because it helps us improve in the end. And that's what the customer wants. The customer wants a product that they know is environmentally sustainable. And if you cannot provide that product to them, you won't be in business. So you better have a look at it and you better improve. Because in the end, you do not want the industry to die because of regulations. You want the industry to improve because of regulations. At the same time, I do want to em emphasize that in industry should be proactive rather than reactive to government regulations. It's once, say, for example, there's a limit that's set by the government. If you reach that limit, if you think you no longer need to improve, that's the wrong way to go about it. You want to keep improving because there could be a time that comes when the government could reduce that limit that you need to abide by, and then you're like left out in the in the cold. So you want to continue continuously improve yourself to make sure that you're one step ahead of the regulators. So if you reach that limit, it's not like, oh, my job is done. You want to keep improving so that you're not caught off guard when the time comes that they reduce those limits. Continuous improvement is the number one thing that's required by all manufacturers because you cannot rest on your laurels. You know, you need to continuously improve. Make sure that when it comes to sustainability, make sure that your company is not a polluting company. Make sure that you're doing things the right way and making sure that your product is environmentally sustainable. Because in the end, sustainability is a value that's added to your product. That's what brands are looking for today. Uh, things might have changed because of COVID-19, where price is the number one factor that uh, is basically influencing purchasing. But a time will come when sustainability again becomes a keyword, maybe in a couple of years where, again, it's the driving factor behind the industry. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.